It's certainly appropriate on this Memorial Day weekend that we pause to grieve, to mourn, to enter into a time of, of pain because of what is going on in our broken world. But in the midst of all of the brokenness of our world, there's also our own brokenness to deal with. And today we come to a petition in our ongoing study of this, the Lord's Prayer, that addresses not only the brokenness of our world, but our own brokenness and sense of guilt. Guilt is a feeling nobody likes. But the reality is, you know, we'll do all kinds of things to try to avoid it, some of which get us into greater pain and difficulty in life. But in addition to that, the reality is the only way to avoid guilt is never to do anything wrong. And good luck with that, right? <laughs> because we all do. As a matter of fact, if we really understand the four petitions of the Lord's Prayer that precede the one we're gonna be examining this morning, the very act of praying them will awaken within us feelings of failure and guilt. Well, that's encouraging news to hear on this holiday weekend, isn't it? Wow, well, let me explain what I mean. Jesus taught us to pray in the first petition, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, meaning what? Lord, may your name, which represents all of your character, be manifested and honored in every detail of my life. But frankly, there are times I don't want God's name to be honored, I want my name to be honored. I want the recognition that prays to go to me. So when I'm convicted of that, it adds to feelings of guilt. In the second petition, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, meaning may your rule and authority extend over me. Really? I mean, when I pray that, I'm reminded of how often I don't want God to be the king of my life. I want to be the king, the one who calls the shots. And then there's the third petition in which he invites us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I submit to your plan and your will in every area of my life. Ah, no, not all the time do I really feel that way. Then we come to this fourth one, give us today our daily bread, which means trusting God for the basic necessities of life. But in praying that, I'm reminded of the fact that oftentimes I worry, I get very anxious, I get all uptight, I'm, I'm fearful of what's going on, and my trust and confidence, rather than being in God, tends to be perhaps in my insurance policies or my retirement plan. So just praying these requests is enough to make us ready to pray the fifth petition, which we're gonna examine this morning here in Matthew 6, verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now let me make, by way of introduction, uh, three general observations about this fifth request. First of all, in teaching us to pray, forgive us our debts, Jesus is not thinking of what's on the minds of some politicians these days, which is the cancellation of student loans. Now that's not what Jesus is dealing with. He's not talking about credit card debt. He's not talking about mortgage payments. He's not talking about financial debt. He's talking about moral debt. Now how do we know that? Well, we know it in part because Matthew 6 is not the only gospel record that gives to us the Lord's Prayer. 
It's also recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, the opening verses, and there Luke tells us that Jesus is teaching us to pray, forgive us our sins. And it's just a basic, ordinary, New Testament word for sin. More than likely, Matthew is using the word debts here because he's writing to Jewish readers, and uh, the word that he uses in Greek corresponds to the most common term in their language, which would be Aramaic, for sin. So Jesus, we know then, is talking about moral debt. That's my first of my three uh, general observations I want to make. Moral debt. Secondly, there's a difference in viewing sin as sin and viewing sin as debt. You say, what's the difference? Well, the word for sin essentially means to miss the mark. So think of a target. God's word tells us what we are to aim for in life. Absolute conformity to the law of God were the Ten Commandments, which Jesus summarized in Matthew 22, saying that the first five commandments means that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and the second five of the ten teach us the importance of loving our neighbor as ourselves. So anytime we fail to perfectly hit the mark, the center, the bullseye in our thoughts, our motives even, our speech, our actions, that's sin. And every time we sin, we come to, into arrears with God. In other words, we incur debt. The greater the sin, the greater the debt. And seeing that we can never pay our debt, we become guilty and liable to punishment. We therefore owe God big time. I wonder if you're aware of that. I wonder if you're aware of it to the point where it's hit you in your heart. I mean, to illustrate this, if I were to get a bill in the mail, say from the IRS or some other organization, that tells me I owe $1,000 and unless I pay it by a certain date, I might be prosecuted and thrown into jail. Well, you probably don't want your intentional interim pastor to be in jail. So I could probably come up with $1,000 to uh, not spend time in jail. But let's say that the debt we're talking about is not $1,000, but $10 billion. I could invite all of you and anybody else who might know me to contribute to the Rich Schonard Fund, but more than likely at the end of the day, we would still have nothing close to $10 billion. So I'm in deep weeds. Well, the moral debt that we owe God is greater than any $10 billion monetary debt. God has commanded you and me to be perfect, as he is perfect. I'm not, I don't know about you. Well, with one sin, one failure, we fall hopelessly short of the standard, placing ourselves in a position of indebtedness from which we can never escape. Now, I've had people say to me different times, Rich, I'm, I'm fine with you being a, a Christian and that you're into this Jesus guy. Frankly, Rich, I've never felt my need for your Jesus. And at times I like to respond by saying, it doesn't matter what you feel, the reality is you are legally, morally, objectively guilty before God. And when it comes time, when the debt is called, 
The reality is you're not going to be able to pay. And so your situation is greater in terms of a crisis situation than you could ever possibly imagine. Friends, that's why Jesus encourages us to pray this fifth petition, forgive us our debts. So that's the second of my observations. There's a difference between viewing sin as sin and viewing it as debt. Now here's a third. In both of these passages, Matthew 6, Luke chapter 11, the words for sin and debt are in the plural. So Matthew has forgive us our debts, Luke has forgive us our sins, indicating that there are many sins, much debt from which we need forgiveness. And God doesn't grade on the curve. God demands payment. He doesn't wink at sin and say, well, you know, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. No, he demands payment. The wages of sin is death. I mean, there are the sins of our tongues, profanity and boasting and lying and slander and gossip, sins of the mind, the things that we think about and dwell on like lust and jealousy and envy and anger and worry, sins of action, sins of inaction, where we fail to do the good that we should be doing. You see, it's very easy for us to pray this petition and never feel it personally, never be aware of the fact that I am the one who has issues to deal with before a holy God. There's nothing personal about it. And so we just mouth these words and we end up feeling pretty good about ourselves in comparison to other people. But you see, this prayer presupposes the fact that there are specific sins that we have committed against the holy God. Personal moral failures that trouble us, that not only lead to conflict in our relationship oftentimes with other people, but has also led to significant conflict in our relationship to God. And so the huge question that ought to be uppermost in our minds this morning is the question, how do I deal with my guilt? And I have some very good news for you today. How do we deal with the guilt? This fifth request draws our attention to the solution. First of all, if we want to deal with our guilt, we must understand that there's only one solution to our sin problem, and it's forgiveness. So Jesus says to pray, our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts. So we're asking God to do something with our sins. What do we want him to do? Well, we want him to forgive them. What does that mean? Well, the word essentially means to send away or dismiss. So we're asking God to do something absolutely amazing. We're asking God to dismiss our debts, to cancel them out, to never recall them, to never make mention of them, and to view us and treat us as if we never did any of the wrong. Now, we know that our sins are a fact, but in essence, what we're praying is this, Father, please don't hold it against me that I missed the mark when it comes to the honoring of your name, the expansion of your kingdom, I'm not submitting at all times to your will, and I'm not trusting you for the necessities of life. I'm asking you to dismiss from my account all of my thoughts and words and motives and acts that have displeased you. And so the desire is to be forgiven, to know it, to feel it, and to be able to walk out of here today convinced, totally assured of that reality. 
You see, the greatest need that you have in your life is not to make more money, not to find the right person to partner with and, you know, and marriage, not to have kids, not to buy the greatest house or whatever. The greatest need that you and I have in our lives is to be forgiven. Can you imagine being able to walk out of here today totally confident of that reality? We long for that. And so there's only one solution to our sin problem, forgiveness. Secondly, there's only one source of forgiveness, and that's God. I want to share with you this morning four terms that summarize the Bible's teaching about the nature of God's forgiveness. I hope you'll write these down and recall them from time to time. First word is instantly. God forgives instantly. Now look at this verse from Nehemiah chapter 9. You're a God of forgiveness always ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and full of love. So God is always ready to forgive you. He forgives instantly, immediately, no delays whatsoever. Now, that tends to be different, frankly, from a lot of so-called human forgiveness. You know, somebody hurts you, or me, comes up to us and says, oh, I'm sorry, that was hurtful, I never should have done that, please forgive me. Sometimes we just want that person to pay a little bit for what they did, right? I mean, we kind of, we pout, and we fold our arms, and we say something like, well, I'll think about it, you know, something of that nature. Does God pout, does God fold his arms and say, I'll think about it when you're asking him to forgive you? Of course not, does he rub it in? No, what does he do? He rubs it out. His forgiveness is instant, it's immediate, occurring the moment you sincerely ask. Now, if that's true, and it is, should a Christ follower ever feel guilty? The answer is yes. For like 30 or 40 seconds, which is the average length of time it takes typically to confess the sin to God and to acknowledge your desire to change your behavior. So God desires that we bask in the assurance of his gracious forgiveness. God not only wants you to forgive you, he wants you to feel forgiven and he wants you to feel that way all the time. So God forgives instantly. Secondly, he also forgives completely. Now notice this paraphrase from J.B. Phillips, Colossians 2. He has forgiven all your sins. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments which always hung over our heads. And I'll stop there for a second. Remember what is in the center of the bullseye? What determines what is sin? You don't, your parents don't, God does when we violate his, his law, we break his commandments. And this is saying he has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it, how? By nailing it to the cross. So question, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, which ones did that include? Well, the answer is of course all of them. That means not only the ones I've already committed in the past, but he has already forgiven, according to this verse, he has forgiven all my sins, that it also includes the sins in the future that I haven't committed yet. You say, wait a minute, 
If God has already forgiven, Rich, you of all of your failures, all of your sins in the past, why do we need to pray this petition? Forgive us of our debts. Well, the answer is we need to distinguish between two types of forgiveness, which I'm going to call legal forgiveness. I'll explain both of these shortly. Legal forgiveness and parental forgiveness. What's the difference? Well, legal forgiveness is what is in view here in Colossians 2 when it says he has forgiven all your sins, utterly wiping out the evidence and such. Yeah, that's legal forgiveness. Legal forgiveness views God as a judge. So imagine a court scene. You're standing before the judge, but in this case, it's the judge of heaven and earth, God himself. And a great big book is open, which contains a record of everything you've ever thought, all of your motives, your actions, your words that have not been exact dead center in honoring the commands of God. That's a record, big book. You stand before the judge and the judge declares, you're guilty. You've broken my law. Your debt is huge. You can't be, render it yourself, you must be punished. But then, he goes on to say, Christ has paid for your sin on the cross. And so there's been this great exchange where God takes this huge record of your moral failures and he credits that to Christ. And on the cross is punishing Christ for what you and I did. And so on the basis of that, we stand by faith in Jesus Christ, totally legally forgiven. Isn't that amazing? But in addition to that, there's also the other kind of forgiveness, which I'm calling parental forgiveness. And I call it that because Jesus here is teaching us to pray, our Father in heaven, forgive us of our debts. So if you're a parent, what happens when one of your children you know, does something that's very hurtful to a, toward a brother or sister, or maybe even toward you? Well, it, it, it creates a disconnect. And in order for harmony to be restored, that child needs to say, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry, that was wrong. Please forgive me. Then intimacy can be restored. But the child is still your child. And the same is true in our relationship to God. Legally, we stand totally forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And when I, as a Christ follower, go to my Father in heaven and say, Father, I am sorry, I've sinned in your sight, I can also enjoy parental forgiveness. Some of you really need to hear this today because you've made some major moral mistakes in the past and you're still dealing with a lot of guilt. I don't know, maybe you ruined somebody's reputation through your slander, maybe you had an affair, maybe you got drunk and cost somebody dearly from your behavior, maybe you cheated somebody out financially, whatever it was, it was very hurtful. When you went before God and said, God, I just blew it, I made a major mistake, I have sinned against you, he forgave you instantly and completely and he wants you to believe it. Others of you perhaps today need to hear this word about complete forgiveness because if you don't believe it, you're gonna to continue to think that God is always out to get even with you. So every time there's a accident, 
financial difficulty, every time somebody in your family comes down with a significant illness, you're going to think, oh, there it is. God is getting even. Listen, God doesn't hold a grudge. God got even at the cross. And so the reality is once we come to him in honesty and we say, Father, forgive me, he forgives instantly and completely. Now there's a third word that summarizes the biblical nature of God's forgiveness, and that would be the word repeatedly. He forgives repeatedly. Have you ever committed the same sin more than once? Yeah, some of us are not very creative when it comes to sinning. You know, we fall into the same wrong kinds of, be of behavior patterns. We're gonna be talking about that a little bit more next week when we come to the last of these petitions. But whatever it is, we tend to get into habits where maybe for you it's dealing with anger management issues, frankly, or maybe it's you know a temptation to lie a lot, to embellish stories, to make yourself look greater than you really are. Maybe it's lust, maybe it's gossip, maybe you have a critical spirit. Whatever it is, look at this promise in 1 John 1, 9. By the way, the statements here are in the present tense, which indicates ongoing action, okay? If we continue, in other words, to confess our sins to God, he will keep his promise and do what is right. He will continue to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all our wrongdoing. You know, I used to think that when I confessed the same area of brokenness before God, that he would at some point say, Rich, that's the limit. You know, it's like trying to get into an account and you're trying to remember what is the password. You just can't remember and you make all of these try and finally you just get locked out of the account. Ugh. And so maybe we feel I'm, I'm, God is just gonna lock me out. No relationship with him. But the reality is no, when we come before him, he longs to forgive instantly, completely, and repeatedly. All right, one other term I wanna share with you that summarizes the nature of God's forgiveness and it's the word freely. God also forgives freely. Wow, free forgiveness? I mean, there are times maybe we feel we ought to pay for our mistakes, and that probably is true. But notice this tremendous passage in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Yes, all have sinned, yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sins. Would you notice the word freely? By the way, free doesn't mean cheap. It costs God a lot to forgive me and you. It cost him his own son. And according to scripture, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, stretched out, showing the world how much he loved us, this, this much, his last recorded words were what? It is what? Finished. Not I am finished. But it is finished. What's finished? Well, payment for guilt and sin is finished. In the original New Testament, the word there is one word to translate these three English words, it is finished. It's the Greek word to die, which was used frequently outside the Bible in business terms when somebody paid off a debt. There would be a receipt that in essence said paid in full. 
I know this man, uh, prior to coming to City Church, I was assisting at a church in Rochester, and this man who uh, was recruited to serve on one of our outreach teams had a tattoo in the inside of his forearm, the Greek word to telestai, Greek accents and everything, was all there. All he had to do was to look on the inside of his forearm to read the word to telestai to be reminded it's paid for. Paid in full. So friends, there's only one solution to our guilt, forgiveness. There's only one source of forgiveness, God, who forgives instantly, completely, repeatedly, freely, and that leads us to the third. How do we receive this forgiveness? I mean, by what means does it become ours? Well, there's some things we don't have to do. We can't beg for it. God, please, 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 no. We don't have to bargain with God for it. God, if you forgive me just this once, I'll never do this again. Yeah, but you might. And we don't have to bribe God. God, if you forgive me, I'll go to church for the next six months. I'll read my Bible every day. No, we don't have to beg or bargain or bribe or even buy it because it's not for sale. It's paid for. So what do we do? Well, here's your answer to fill in that blank. Ask. You pray, our Father in heaven, forgive me of my sins. And so really, the only proper attitude towards sin is not to deny it, but to do what? Confess it. To confess, the word essentially means to say the same thing about it that God says. That's what leads to forgiveness. So let me ask you, is there anything in your life that you're pretending isn't sin, but you know in reality is? Anything you're tending to cover up, call it what it is. Because we have a God, when we do that, who loves to forgive instantly, completely, repeatedly, and yes, even freely because of what Christ has done for you. All right, number four, one evidence that we've been genuinely, we've genuinely asked for forgiveness is that we forgive others. Jesus tells us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So there's one more petition in the Lord's Prayer we'll get to next week. But when the prayer is over, Jesus comes back and gives some commentary on just one of these six petitions. And it happens to be the one we're talking about today, forgiveness. This is what he goes on to say. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. What in the world does that mean? Does he mean that my forgiving others is a condition for God to forgive me? No. That's not what it means. Let's understand that forgiveness is all of grace. It's unmerited favor. It's absolutely unconditional then what does Jesus mean? I mean, does he mean that God will not forgive my sins if I don't forgive, you know, the person that sinned against me? Yes, yes, that's exactly what he means. There are gonna be times in my future when I'm gonna fail God. If I'm genuinely sorrowful and I really mean it when I say, God, I want you to forgive me, and I've tasted the sweetness of God's mercy, in, in his forgiveness, I'm gonna show it by extending mercy to others who have wronged me. 
So if I don't forgive, I'm just, you know, it indicates I'm not either sorrowful for my sin or I'm not really appreciative of his grace. So notice this verse in Colossians 3. Be ready to forgive, never hold grudges. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Why must we forgive others? Well, because God in Christ has forgiven you. Now, maybe you suffered a major hurt. Somebody greatly wounded you. God forgave you, didn't he? I mean, there isn't a person here today who has endured what Jesus Christ endured on the cross, and he did it to forgive you. Let that motivate you then to be forgiving toward others. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, I for, to, to forgive each other as readily as God forgave you in Christ. So how did God forgive you? Instantly, completely, repeatedly, and freely. So I'm wondering this morning, are there sins you need to confess to God? God promises to forgive you. I mean, that's got to be the most wonderful news in all the world, that you can walk out of here today knowing the joy, the liberation, the freedom of complete and total forgiveness, restoration to the favor of God. That's what God wants to do in your life. So perhaps, I don't know, maybe he brought you here this morning that you might experience his grace in forgiving you of some specific act of wrongdoing. If so, it's time to confess it. It's time to ask God for forgiveness and to let it go. And maybe the place for you starts with you praying this petition of the Lord's Prayer. Father in heaven, forgive my debts as I also forgive my debtors. Let's pray together. Well, God knows everything about you. No matter what you've done, he offers to give you a fresh start. Why not pray right now in silence? Father, today, I wanna make my peace with you. I thank you for sending your son to pay my debt. And I ask you to wipe the slate clean in my life, to give me that fresh start. Please forgive me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it brings healing and relief when we look to you in the midst of our brokenness. What a gracious and loving God you are. Surely our greatest need is to be forgiven. And what we could not do for ourselves, you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And so we desire to express our thanks by forgiving others and living lives that honor you, all for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.